Welcome to the City Beautiful Church podcast. Thank you for taking the time to join our family as we strive to live together in heavenly reality. For more great content, visit us online at citybeautiful.ch. All right. Go ahead and move back to your seats. Let's do a quick poll. How many of you have feelings? Most of you? Okay, how many of you uh, resent the fact that you have feelings? How many of you feel too much? How many of you feel too little? All right. Feelings. Whoa, 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 whoa. Feelings. We were over at Landon Allison's yesterday, and Rose was watching Mr. Rogers, who's probably like the greatest teacher I've ever had about feelings, and for many of you, that would be my age. Um, And that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're in this series called A Generous Common Life, where we're taking this passage, Galatians 6, verses 1 to 10, and we're really diving deep for several months and examining each of the particular... um, pieces of what it is that Paul's putting together in this passage, because it's really, really fantastically dense. And this first portion of what we've been doing is saying what, so Paul uh, presents us basically with this paradox. He says, um, carry each other's burdens, and he says, each of you must carry your own load. And so we're looking at the paradox of those two things. What are the things that we consider part of our own load to carry? What are we personally responsible for? And then we're going to be looking uh, in the second portion, okay, what are the things that we're meant to carry together? Um, So I'm going to read Galatians 6, 1 through 10 in the Amplified version this week. We're going through different versions each week just to kind of get a fuller picture of what's happening. Uh, And then we're going to talk about our feelings. And then we're going to practice some things about our feelings. And it's going to be great. And you're all going to leave here and you're going to be so mature. It's going to be a, uh, and this is definitely a sermon I measure by tears. So if you're crying by the end of it, I've, I've got my job done, okay? So let's pray. Um, Heavenly Father, we, we testify the truth that you're here and that you're with us, uh, that you are a God who turns curses into blessings, um, that you promise us that you will never leave us nor forsake us. God, we thank you that we're all on this journey of growth, that for us, salvation and health are basically the same thing. That in your kingdom, you gather together all the bits and pieces of who we are that have been shattered by the chaos of this world, that have been shattered by generations of brokenness. And you see in that brokenness something that you can work with. God, I pray that you would give each one of us an increasing vision of what it looks like for us to be whole, to, to live in shalom, peace, wholeness, togetherness. Physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. That to be whole and healthy human beings is your desire for us. So may the words of my lips and the meditation of all of our hearts be ever pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So this is uh, Galatians 6. 1 through 10, in the amplified version of the Bible. Uh, Caveat, one of the things that I don't like about this version, they don't like about a lot of versions, is that the Greek word used for uh, brothers, uh, like a lot of languages that are gendered languages, it kind of, the masculine is used for the masculine, or it's used for masculine and feminine together. So sometimes you'll see, uh, like the NIV has made the decision to make the shift to brothers and sisters. Some others have. Uh, the Amplified hasn't. So uh, ladies, you're not exempt from this, okay? Just as we're going along, and it says brothers. <clears throat> so brothers, if anyone is caught in any sin, you who are spiritual, that is you who are responsive to the guidance of the spirit, are to restore such a person in a spirit of gentleness, not with a sense of superiority or self-righteousness, keeping a watchful eye on yourself so that you are not tempted as well. Carry one another's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the requirements of the law of Christ, that is, the law of Christian love. For if anyone thinks he is something special, 
when in fact he is nothing special except in his own eyes. He deceives himself, which I feel is like the one place where Paul and Mr. Rogers probably deviate because I'm pretty sure he told me that I was special. <laughs> um, but each one must carefully scrutinize his own work, examining his actions, attitudes, and behavior. And then he can have the personal satisfaction and inner joy of doing something commendable without com comparing himself to another. For every person will have to bear with patience his own burden of faults and shortcomings for which he alone is responsible. The one who is taught the word of God is to share all good things with his teacher, contributing to his spiritual and material support. Somebody sent me an article this week about a pastor up in the Chicago area went off on his congregation for not getting him a $70,000 Movado watch. So I'm just putting that out there. I'm not, you know... You'd never do that. <laughs> I don't even know what Movada means, so. Uh, I think it's Spanish for moves. Movada, right? I don't know, whatever. <laughs> I like my Jetta just fine. Uh, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. He will not allow himself to be ridiculed nor treated with contempt, nor allow his precepts to be scornfully set aside. For whatever a man sows, this and this only is what he will reap. For the one who sows to his flesh his sinful capacity, his worldliness, his disgraceful impulses, will reap from the flesh ruin and destruction. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not grow weary or become discouraged in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap if we do not give in. So then, while we as individual believers have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, not only being helpful, but also doing that which promotes their spiritual well-being, and especially be a blessing to those in the household of faith, born-again believers. So I've mentioned several times in this series already that spiritual maturity is connected to how much we explore and understand our inner world in the midst of the unpredictability of the outer world, the world around us that a lot of times we can measure immaturity by how much we blame other people and outside events for why we are the way that we are. And when you're a child, that works just fine, but then you become an adult and you go out into the world and you continue that, that practice of blaming other people for what's happening to you without taking stock of like your interior world and so that you abdicate responsibility for the things that are yours um, and you post blame on other people uh, for things that is not their responsibility. And that's especially true of what we're talking about today, that it is not other people's responsibility to manage your feelings. That is your responsibility. We often, this, this is the way we speak, right? We say, well, you made me feel this thing. Um, and so we make our feelings somebody else's fault. Now, without commenting on the fact that people do horrible things to us, and that's true and that's accurate, our feelings are a response to whatever it is that we're perceiving we're receiving from another person. And so when we say, it's your fault for the way that I feel, or conversely, we do this. Have you ever had that apology? It's like, I'm sorry that you feel this way. And you're like, you just get out. <laughs> That's, the, that's horrible. We're going to talk, I mean, uh, Jonathan's going to talk about forgiveness next week, so maybe we'll get into that one as well. Um, but we, we, we believe that other people are responsible for our feelings or that we have to apologize conversely for making somebody feel a certain way when that, in fact, is not really what's going on. So we're going to be talking about emotions today. First, I want to kind of talk about the theology of emotion. I want to talk about what feelings are for why they are part of us, even though we would prefer that they weren't. Um, I'm going to talk about the goal, like what is the goal of, uh, of our emotional health, and then we're going to enter into a practice um, that helps us to engage with our feelings through the Holy Spirit. So, uh, first of all, the theology of emotion. Um, I think this is really, really important, that we know that God feels deeply because Jesus feels deeply. In the image of God, you are also created to feel deeply and freely. A lot of times our impression of God is far more influenced by Greek philosophy than it is by the Hebrew scriptures. 
And what do I mean by this? Remember a couple weeks ago, uh, somebody else gifted me with this phrase of the sky daddy. We're all afraid of the sky daddy um, who's out there controlling every move and moving the chess pieces and all this sort of thing, this kind of cosmic uh, pawn, you know, that we are just stuck in this life. And in Greek philosophy, their idea of God that they would say uh, God is perfect. So we have all the, all the omnis that you're probably familiar with. Like God is omnipotent, which means he's all powerful. God is omniscient, which means he's all knowing. God is omnipresent, which means that he's everywhere. And these omnis come more from Greek philosophy than they actually do from the Hebrew scripture because their idea of God is like perfection. God has got to mean wholeness and like God is the biggest of everything. So he's everywhere. He knows everything. Um, you know, he's all powerful. And this is where we get the idea of like God is in control in that sense of like God moves things around and makes bad things happen to us because God's in control and you get into all these um, really difficult theological positions. Um, But the problem is that that Greek vision of perfection uh, means that if God is all these omnis, um, God can't have any emotions, because emotions are a liability, right? Emotions make us go all over the place. And so God doesn't have any feelings. And so if we're to be like God, that means that we're supposed to get rid of all our feelings, which is why a lot of times in uh, Western culture, we're, we've been historically emotionally suppressive because we're trying to be like God. And God has kind of, you know, he is beyond and above all feelings. Because if God just knows everything, um, and if God is all powerful and in control of everything, there's no space for an emotional response to what's happening in creation itself. And so perfection means that emotions are a liability. And this is why a lot of us are afraid of our feelings. Now, I think we're in an interesting moment in history because we are reclaiming emotional health in our society. For many of us, our parents' generation, our grandparents' generation, they didn't talk about emotional health, right? Like, think about your parents, think about your grandparents. It was just suck it up, buttercup, you know? Like, you just got to keep moving on. I was talking to somebody in the past couple weeks, and they are saying, like, that was very much the culture they grew up in with their family was like, oh, well, let's, we just keep moving forward. Like, don't reflect too much on the past. Don't let it, like, take hold of you. Just keep moving forward, right? Just, like, kind of, what's her name, Dory? Like, just keep swimming. Just keep swimming, you know? Like, and that's, and it seems like conventionally good advice, but we recognize that all these things are continually happening within us. Um, and either we become emotionally suppressive um, or we allow our feelings to explode and they run away with us and they are controlling us. And so I think in a modern era, there's a net positive of understanding the idea of emotional health, but it's definitely got some growing pains. Um, and this comes through in a lot of uh, this kind of horrible pop psychology that we find on social media, where we're, ta- we're, we're trying to attune to our feelings, but then we believe that our feelings are the truest thing and the truest way for us to perceive reality. And so what happens? We begin to label people as toxic because they make you feel feelings. Again, right? It's other people's responsibility for why I feel the way that I do. And so you got to cut toxic people out of your life. Um, you do not want that kind of negativity around you. You've got to reclaim, like, this is the year of you, or, or all this language. And there's this attempt to create a, a conversation around emotional health, but a lot of times it actually overprivileges our feelings and puts them in the driver's seat. And that's one of my, the, the best things that my therapist has said to me. It's like, your feelings are like your children. Um, you don't want to lock them in the trunk of your car, but you also don't want them in the steering wheel, you know? Like, they don't, they don't get to just dictate where you're headed, but you don't hide them away. Um, your, child, like your children have a place in your car. They have a sense of belonging, but you don't give them the control and you don't hide them away. Um, and I think feelings actually, the purpose of feelings is they help root us in the midst of our own lives. That's what your emotions do. Uh, for me, uh, my, both my personality type and my culture of origin are notorious uh, feeling suppressors. Um, uh, Sigmund Freud said that the Irish are completely um, un, uh, unanalyzable because we're so good at hiding our feelings. And we say a lot of double negatives, like, how are you? And you say, not bad. And you're like, that means absolutely nothing. And it's always keeping people at arm's length. Like, I mean, Molly's Irish Catholic. She knows, like, you know, we've got history. We've got, it's all in there, you know? Um, but also my personality type is one that would naturally have this desire to remain unaffected. And if I could kind of keep 
the interior peace and keep exterior peace, then I've done my job. But what I've recognized over the past 10 years is a lot of times I desire to be unaffected means that I don't have the uh, emotional health uh, that I need in order to live a full life. And one of the things I'll be talking about in a moment is that if we don't engage with the difficult emotions in life, we can't fully experience the really profound and pleasurable emotions, and we end up in this kind of emotional numbness. So we're going to be looking at a story um, from, the, from uh, the, the Gospel of John, a story about Jesus that has a tremendous amount of emotional uh, turmoil in it that we might say. And so I'm going to be reading this story, and as I'm reading it, I want you to pay attention to uh, the feelings. Like this, there's a, this is a tragic scenario, and there are, there's an emotional context for each of the characters involved. It's going to be for Jesus, for Mary for Martha, for this community around uh, their friend Lazarus who has died. And I want you to be listening for the emotional context or allowing yourself to almost imagine like what, what might they be feeling from moment to moment. Uh, and then we'll talk through a couple of those characters. So this is John 11. Uh, we're going to be giving, beginning in the 17th verse. It's John 11, 17. On his arrival... Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will arise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the son of God who is to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When Jesus, who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out. They followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Again, if God is all of the omnis, why would Jesus be astounded or surprised by anything? Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they they replied. Jesus wept. Then Jesus said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing there, that they believe that you sent me. Jesus likes to throw a little bit of shade on the people that are around him all the time. He's just like, I know that you know this, Lord, but guess who doesn't? Um, When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let go. So we have this moment of tragedy um, and I think we don't, we don't really give tragedy enough of a place in our society today. Whenever there's things that are happening around us, when it, you know, like these crises or whatever happening in the news with, oh, this case and that thing or whatever, we don't really sit and allow ourselves to feel the heaviness of what's happening. We automatically jump to, is this a right decision or wrong decision? We kind of filter things through a morality that ends up um, almost being sociopathic because there's no emotional context for what we're experiencing. 
um, you know, I mentioned before, like um, just around the, the whole conversation with abortion, we want to so quickly jump to, is this right? Is that wrong? What do we do in this case? What do we do in that case? And it was a, it was a very liberal friend of mine that I was talking to and she said, it's always a tragedy. And that was so helpful for me to hear like, oh yeah, like almost nobody wants this. Like nobody's, like few people are gleeful that abortion is a thing, but we're not feeling the reality of life itself. We're not feeling the heaviness of some of these things that we contend with. And we just quickly jump to making moral proclamations and prescriptions, trying to figure out what the right answer is, but it's the emotionality of life in claiming tragedy and comedy that enables us to be more fully present and perhaps to be more compassionate. And so what do we see here? We see these two sisters of uh, Lazarus who has died in Mary and Martha, and you can almost perceive a little bit of an accusational tone, right? And so they both blame Jesus. They're like, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And they both say that, right? So there's, there's that blaming coping mechanism. Like in order to contend with my feelings, I need to put blame somewhere. So they're going to, they're going to blame Jesus for it. Martha theologizes, which is a great coping mechanism. How many of you love to theologize away your feelings, right? Like you've got the right answer. Like you know where that Bible verse is, right? Um, and, and we would never think of that as a coping mechanism, but it is where we come up with a theological explanation for why we don't have to feel our feelings. And so Martha does that. She's like, well, I know that in the last days, blah, blah, blah. Like I read this really wonderful book by N.T. Wright. It talked about the resurrection. So that's what's going to happen. Um, Mary seems kind of trapped in despair, right? So she doesn't come to Jesus at first. She's kind of hiding. That's another common mechanism when we're not allowing ourselves to fully feel our feelings is that we'll, we'll kind of hide or we'll dissociate from our community. And then when she does come, she kind of has this same similar sentiment to Martha, like, had you been here, something could have changed, but she's kind of overcome with that feeling of despair. Um, and then we see even in the crowd, they're kind of, you know, they're uncomfortable with the presence of Jesus. Like, well, you know, if, why is he doing all of this? Or why is he even, I love, especially when Jesus is like deeply moved by what he's seeing. And it says, and this is the shortest verse in the Bible, it says, Jesus wept. Um, the crowd goes, well, why is he crying? He knows what God's about up to. And how many of us, that's what we do. They're like, why are you, why are you sad? Like, don't you have enough faith? Like, didn't you take your faith medication this morning? And they just like well up enough faith. Like, why are you even feeling your feelings, right? And these are the kinds of things that we do. Like we theologize or we rationalize or we dissociate or we accuse and blame in order to prevent ourselves from fully feeling the reality of the moment. Now, what we see in Jesus through this whole story, and then again, cheat code for life, like Jesus was always fully present in every moment, right? We can all just assume that, and like none of us are. So he was always exactly where he was. Jesus was never trapped in the past, and Jesus was never trapped in the future. He was living fully in that present. Kind of like we talked about last week with that Kairos vision of eternity, and so Jesus, he feels the whole scenario incredibly fully. He feels his feelings in seeing Mary and Martha weeping and blaming and accusing and just struggling to make sense. He feels the feelings of this small community as they're kind of lamenting the loss of this apparently wonderful person that was in their community. And he takes it all in and he contemplates it. And then he, he slows down enough to weep. That doesn't mean that Jesus didn't know what God was capable of in raising Lazarus, right? Um, Jesus knew what was about to happen, but it's still very strangely to us. He's able to be in that moment and just to feel fully. And I think that that is the place where Jesus's emotions root him in the moment. So he actually has a heart of compassion rather than being prescriptive in his faith. And that's where the miracle comes from from being fully rooted and compassionate in feeling this tragedy. So what then are feelings for? That they root us in the midst of our life that we're living in this very moment. Your feelings are not truth, okay? Your feelings are not truth. I think this is one of the things that we, you know, we talk about often like societal pendulums that swing and coming out of a rather emotionally staid culture, 
we're swinging to this other arena where now emotions are truth. Whatever I feel in the moment must be the realest feet, like must be the realest and truest thing. And so we gauge the world by what we're feeling. And if someone makes us feel uncomfortable or we're feeling overwhelmed or whatever, that's the, that's the place from which we begin to make decisions in our lives. But your feelings are not truth. However, they are information that can be read to help you discover truth. So feelings are signposts. Feelings are indications that there's something happening within you on a deeper level than your surface awareness is perceiving in that moment. And I think this is also really important to say before we continue on. Not every feeling means something, okay? Um, raise your hand if you're just insane like 50% of the time. You know, like you, your feelings are all over the place. You've got the, these crazy thoughts in your head and you're like, where did that come from? That is called being a human being. That's completely normal and reasonable. Like not every feeling, like we over symbolize things a lot, especially within the Christian household. It's like every single feeling or, uh, you know, bird that flies by must be the symbolic of this larger narrative. Of, and that, that's just too much. You can't sustain that, you know? It's like my 11th grade English professor fighting like Kai Wall. She stood up in the middle class. We were reading the Scarlet Letter. And she goes, sometimes black is just black. And my 11th grade teacher said, no, black is never just black. But sometimes it is. Sometimes a color is just a color, you know? So not every feeling you have means something. And it doesn't require this intense um, energy to sit down and process it and figure out what's going on. Like we give, sometimes we give our feelings too much power, but sometimes, and quite often, if there's a consistent presence, like if there's a persistence to an emotion, it means that there's an invitation there to slow down and to figure out what is happening beneath the surface. Because feelings indicate that there is a deeper value within you that's being impinged upon by whatever's happening around you. That's what's happening. So when, and whenever you feel a strong emotion, I think I would say this especially for the dark emotions, and I call them, I don't like the terms positive and negative emotion because I think it actually perpetuates the problem that we have, um, that we're supposed to, especially as charismatics, we feel like I'm supposed to feel all the positives and God would never want me to feel the negatives. So as soon as I feel a negative emotion, I'm supposed to run the other direction because that's not God's desire for my life. Like, how many of you, you've, you've heard this before, you're, like, you're not supposed to feel guilt or shame, right? Right? And so what happens? When you feel guilt or shame, what do you do? Oh, no, I just declare that closed in the strong name of Jesus, and I'm just going to go the other way. And it's like that thing is trying to tell you something. That feeling of guilt is like, hey, there's something happening beneath the surface that you don't actually believe you are who God says you are. And let's do some work in that place instead of running away from it. And that's what happens to us a lot, is that when we engage with those dark emotions, feelings of guilt or shame or anger or sadness or despair, um, we, something deeper in us is being challenged that we need to be able to explore. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit, is to take us by the hand and not help us to run away from our feelings. And we don't jump over our feelings like they're just a kind of puddle on the sidewalk, but we actually pass through our feelings with the Holy Spirit to see what's happening there. I had the worst Airbnb experience of my life this week. Um, I rent out two rooms in my house. The vast majority of people are incredibly decent and clean and delightful, okay? And I've been doing this for years. Um, this person was not that. Um, long story short, they rented two nights, they showed up, they asked me if, if I could provide a fan. I said, I don't have one. And they said, can we turn the temperature down to 74? I said, oh, I normally put it at 75 at night. They left, middle of the night, asked for a full refund and just went AWOL on me, like all these things. And they're like bringing, just grabbing all these uh, accusations against me. And a couple days when guy, I had to get Airbnb uh, customer support to come in and arbitrate. And they're like, you did the right thing. And we've reached out to this person. And then they left me a terrible review. And I just, how many of you hate being like critiqued and judged? And you're like, Ugh. you just like feel that, you know? And I, I, it was like, it was just bothering me for days. Um, and I, first of all, I needed someone to tell me that I was justified, you know, and a lot, a lot of us, we have those kinds of uh, moments in our lives. But 
it was like robbing me of sleep and it was like ruining my several days um, that this person was so, um, just so after me, you know, I felt like I was being attacked and I felt like it was challenging a lot of things that I would actually pride myself in and being hospitable and being accommodating and some of these things. And by the way, all the rest of my reviews are all five-star reviews. So if anybody needs a place to stay, very competitive rates. And I had to slow down. I had to take this time on Wednesday and be like, all right, Lord, this has been several days. This is basically over. Like what's happening within me? Like what what are the values that are being challenged where I'm feeling like, like, like anger, like hot heat behind the eyeballs kind of anger, you know, where I like wanted to break something or I wanted to like shred this guy online or whatever. Um, and, and just slowing down and just like asking the Holy Spirit to walk me through these feelings. And it's like, oh, I really value like hospitality and accommodation. I really am uncomfortable with entitled people. That was a big thing that I was realizing. Like whenever I feel like someone's trying to pull one over on me or whatever, like take advantage, like I just don't like that. And it was helpful to like slow down and to take the time because this feeling was just so all engulfing. And I think that that's actually what the Holy Spirit invites for us, that feelings aren't truth, but they are information to be read. So what is the goal? What is the, what's the point of us even having feelings? The goal of spiritual and emotional health is anti-fragility, okay? This is, this is our goal. This is our telos. This is what we're working towards is this idea of anti-fragility. So there's a happiness researcher. His name's Tal Ben-Shahar, and he wrote a book called Happier No Matter What. And what research suggests is that pursuing happiness is actually what leads us to depression, okay? When happiness is a value that you have, and that's your goal. And you're like, I want to be happy. That's what I, that's my goal in life. I want to be happy. I'm going to do everything I can to make myself happy. What happens when we pursue happiness directly is we realize how fleeting a feeling it is. Um, we, we avoid and we hide from all of the other feelings that are not happiness. And it actually causes us a profound depression. And so um, ben Shahar's theory is that we have to pursue happiness indirectly and not directly because it is a valuable emotion to have. And so he takes this idea of anti-fragility. And what anti-fragility means is that there are kind of three states of being for any kind of object. There's fragile objects. So, you know, a, a wine glass might be a fragile object or something like you. It doesn't, you know, you put pressure on it and it just shatters. Um, and then there are robust or resilient objects um, that are strong, but they don't move. So like the chair you're sitting in might be robust. Like it has uh, the structure to be able to hold you. Like it's, it, it, but it doesn't have any sense of give. It doesn't move. It doesn't grow. It's robust. And a lot of times as human beings, we believe that we're one of those two things. We believe that we're fragile creatures, that any kind of pressure is just going to shatter us and we're going to be all done. And so many of us have internalized this idea, what, uh, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you weaker. Um, and the, I've mentioned before the social psychologist Jonathan Haidt talks about how problematic that is in our educational system, that we often convey that to young people. Um, or we believe that we're robust, like we're supposed to be these immovable, solid objects that cannot be affected by anything. This is an actuality. Human beings are anti-fragile objects. And what anti-fragility means is that when pressure is incurred, it actually spurs growth. That through pressure, we become more than what we were. And he coined the phrase post-traumatic growth. Okay? And post-traumatic growth is after we have engaged in a traumatic event or moment or whatever it is, as we sustain pressure, as we've learned the skills to grow through that, we actually bounce back and become more and we actually become stronger. But that strength is not in being rigid. The strength is in learning how to be more flexible. So this is a lot... And we see this in our physical systems, right? Like when you work out, literally what you're doing, this is a rumor that I've heard because I've never worked out a day in my life. Um, the rumor is when you work out, you're literally, you're ripping your muscles, right? Like you're breaking your muscles. And then what happens? They grow back and they fill in the gaps and they become bigger and they become stronger. Your emotional system is exactly like your physical system. 
Now you see, because your, your, your emotions, your heart is not fragile, but your heart is also not like resilient and robust. Your heart is anti-fragile. That the more that you, you engage with the inevitable trauma of life and that you learn how to integrate those dark emotions and as you learn to work through things, your heart becomes stronger, but not a strength that's rigid like the chair you're sitting in, but a strength like um, it becomes like a muscle. And one of the things that Tal Ben-Shahar says is that the, the indirectness of happiness is that it's those who find meaning in their lives that are more likely to overcome emotional barriers. When happiness is not the pursuit of our life, but meaning is, deep relationship is, we find that we're actually far more capable of not only dealing with, but actually engaging with the dark emotions, overcoming these kinds of barriers and be genuinely becoming strong on the other side of these things. Because the, the problem is that these dark emotions, fear, shame, guilt, anger, whatever it might be, they tend to cover over the light emotions. So your heart, it's almost like it's like oil and water, right? And they always separate out or oil sits on top of water. And all of those dark emotions sit over the top of all of the light emotions, joy, happiness, whatever it might be. Those dark emotions cover over the light ones. And for you to ignore, to suppress, or to run away and avoid the dark emotions means that you can't actually get to the light ones. And that's why so many of us feel numb. That's why so many of us feel like our life is lacking in meaning because we have idolized happiness and made that the pursuit of our life. The highest call of life is just to feel happy. <laughs> We've never learned how to deal with the dark emotions. We've never learned how to deal with pain but to learn how to embrace painful emotions and then to cultivate pleasurable ones helps us to develop this anti-fragility. And in all, in most religions, especially in ancient Greece, they talk about how gratitude is, the, is kind of the mother of all virtue. That if we can cultivate a sense of gratitude in our lives, it doesn't help us to avoid the dark feelings, but it grounds us and it cultivates pleasurable emotions so that we become more resilient day by day. So how do we do this? How do we engage in a real spiritual, emotional health journey that helps us to become anti-fragile? Paul gives us this wonderful line um, in Ephesians chapter four, verses 26 and 27. And the beginning of it, he quotes from Psalm four. He says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. And I love that we can almost break this down into four portions and we see something of a path for us to learn emotional resiliency. Number one, he says, be angry. How many of you grew up in a family environment or a church environment where anger was a liability and you're not allowed to feel angry because good little Christian boys and girls don't feel anger. Look, put those hands up. Come on, let's testify. All right, look at that. Um, or have you guys ever seen the sign that's on, like off I-4 and it's like, God is not angry? Oh, I think that's so sad. We're one people in one culture? Is that another billboard? <laughs> Let's just trash all the billboards that we hate in Orlando. Freaking, come on now. Um, God is angry. Like, read the Bible. God's angry. He's not, I don't think he's wrathful. I don't think he's rageful, even though some of our ancestors in the Old Testament thought so, but they didn't know Jesus. And we know Jesus and Jesus got angry, but Jesus never allowed, he would express anger. He never allowed it to take control of him. And so when we believe like, oh, I'm not supposed to feel these emotions, either we suppress them or they, they uh, kind of work in the background to motivate us to do things that we don't want to do. How many of you, like, you suppress, 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 suppress for about three weeks, and then you just explode with anger, right? Or my Enneagram ones, right? That's called resentment. Um, 
But Paul is saying, it's profound. Be angry. Feel your feelings. Learn how to name them. Get a feelings wheel. Whenever you feel that heat behind your eyeballs, reach into your purse or your wallet and pull out that feelings wheel and go through and go, oh, this is called anger. Wow. Okay, so be aware of your feelings. Because those feelings are rooting you in your own story. Those feelings mean you are invested in your own life. And he goes on, he says, in your anger, do not sin. Okay? So what is the do not sin piece? To be aware that those unreflected upon feelings can lead you to do. What are your default uh, kind of reactions to the feelings that you have. What do you do when you get angry? It's like, again, Mr. Rogers in one of the songs, what do I do with the mad that I feel? And if you're not aware, you can't see the patterns because each of us have those mechanisms. Like we have a reaction, an unhealthy response to whenever that feeling comes up, what do we do? Do we numb out? Do we lash out? Do we theologize or rationalize it away? Do we suppress? Do we blame? Do we accuse? What do we do? Because that's the thing that's called sin. Being angry is not a sin. Being sad is not a sin. Like feelings are just feelings. Feelings aren't sins. But when we don't own those feelings... And we move on to the next stage where we do something either subconsciously or consciously out of that emotion. That's the place where sin enters into our lives. Thirdly, do not let the sun go down on your anger. I don't, I don't believe that Paul means this literally like you have eight hours to figure this out and then you're just like going to hell. I think, I think he means like work through it. Like get, get going through these things and process those deep feelings that you're having before you lay your head down to go to bed at night. In fact, I think a lot of times the best place to, to work through your emotions is when you're all comfy and cozy in bed with a hot warm of, thing of cocoa and, and a water bottle or whatever it is, you know? Um, that's, isn't that what we all want out of life? You know, like a little sleeping cap and it just like, you know, that's what we want, a little candle. Um, so don't let, your, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Take the time to process. One of the amazing things that we're seeing in this pursuit of emotional health is that your body retains all of your emotions. Not all of them, but like the really profound feelings. Your body holds that. There's a book called The Body Keeps the Score that talks about this. Like when we don't process those emotions, they get stuck inside of us in our body and it can lead to some profound health um, issues when we do not take the time. And then finally, don't give the devil a foothold. What does this mean? It means the accuser, right? The spirit of the Satan, uh, the accuser who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. When we marinate on those dark emotions uh, and we give them too much power over us, they begin to instill in us these certain lies that we'll begin to live out of, okay? I think that's... That's the profundity of this. It's like those, those feelings, that, those supposedly negative feelings, when they're, when they're unreflected upon and as they marinate in us, it gives the Satan an opportunity to come in and just push a little bit harder. So we find ourselves wandering away from God. We find ourselves dissociating from who we are in Christ. We find ourselves dissociating from uh, the people of God. And we give the devil a foothold because we're entertaining those feelings as being truth. So this is a wonderful practice um, that I think uh, really helps us to engage in a prayer practice um, to, to look at our feelings. So the daily, it's called the daily examine, and it's an ancient prayer practice that helps us to explore our feelings with the help of the Holy Spirit so that we can become anti-fragile and free. So uh, St. Ignatius of Loyola was a 16th century uh, Spanish monastic. He established uh, the Jesuit order or the Society of Jesus, which you might be familiar. Um, and for him, the kind of discipline of prayer was central to the Jesuit practice and as it still is today. And he created this prayer practice called the Daily Examine. Um, and this was part of their, you remember last week we talked about a rule of life. Like what is the trellis of spiritual practices that you establish in your life to keep you healthy? 
And he really felt like this was something that he received uh, from God. That's learning how to read your emotions through the Holy Spirit. And there's kind of two ways to do it. Number one is to review the events of your day. So it's a great way to do this uh, at night when you're laying down uh, with your little nightcap on and your hot cocoa. Um, and it's to review the day. Think about like walk through the day and think about all the events that happened. And then pay attention, what is my emotional reaction to those things that happened to me? And you'll begin to notice like, oh wow, like that, I, got, I received that phone call and that made me really upset. I'm going, why did, that, you know, why did that make me upset? So beginning with the event and learning how to read those things through the Holy Spirit. And the other way, which is what we're going to practice here in a, motion, in a, mo in a moment, um, is to begin with the emotion and then find what are the events um, that are tied into that feeling. And when we begin to write these things down through the examine, what we're doing is we're looking for themes. What are some things that really stick out to me when I take a survey of my emotional interior landscape um, that might be something that God is really inviting me to hone in on? There's a, um, there's a Jesuit guy now who, who leads this practice. He talks about what we're doing is we're rummaging for God. It's like, you know, you're pulling out the little drawer of your life and you're looking around through all the different pieces to say, well, what's God up to? Like, what is the invitation from God here? What's being challenged in me? What am I being invited to recognize about myself? And then we pivot and we convert those revelations to prayer. And that prayer might be a prayer of confession to confess to God, like just to say, hey, God, this is, this is on my heart. This thing is really stuck in me. It might be a prayer of supplication to say, God, I'm, I, I want you to, to give me the wisdom to do this or give me the, the integrity to go and say something or whatever to a person or whatever it might be. Perhaps it's a prayer of thanksgiving to say, God, I thank you for these moments in my life. I thank you for what's happening and cultivating that spirit of gratitude. Um, so we're going to do this right now. I want to invite you to go ahead and take out your phone. I almost did another half sheet of paper, but that's three Sundays in a row, and that's just crazy. I don't want you guys to, you know, we've got trees to save here, and I don't want you to, like, feel like you just expect that you're going to get a half sheet of paper when you come into City Beautiful. And I want you to open up uh, a note, and I want you to just write at the top of it, daily examine and today's date. And what we're going to do is it's going to be a series of questions that come up on, um, on the screen. And I'm, gonna, I'm just going to give you two minutes for each one. Okay, so the first four are just taking a survey of your emotions. Um, and some of these emotions, it'll come quick, and you'll fill up space real, real quick. And some of them, it's going to be really hard. And even there, that's a really good indication to say, wow, I don't have a good relationship with anger. Or I can't really tell the difference between sadness and anxiety. Whatever it might be, like pay attention to the actual process of doing this because that will tell you a lot. And then we're going to convert those revelations into prayer. Okay? So I'm going to I'm going to set a timer for two minutes for each of these questions, and I'll just indicate to you when we're moving on to the next one. All right? Sound good? Everybody who's anxious? Anybody anxious? It's okay. It's one of the questions. So. You get to put, I'm really anxious that Ryan's making me sit and talk about my feelings. Um, so I'm going to pray, and then we'll begin, okay? Um, so, Lord, Heavenly Father, again, thank you for this moment. And God, all of us, we want to be fully rooted in our own lives. We don't want to be stuck in the past, in the feelings of guilt or shame that we might have, or the feelings of anger for what people have done to us. Uh, we also don't want to be stuck in the future, um, looking to escape our own lives, looking for the, the, something that is better or feels better or whatever it might be. We want to be like Jesus. We want to be fully rooted in this moment because this is the only moment that we have. It's the only moment that we can experience freedom. But, <coughs> but we need to learn how to work through our emotions um, with your Holy Spirit. So I invite you now, Lord, uh, to come and to alight upon each of your dear ones and to make straight paths for us, uh, to listen to our own hearts. And God, I pray that you would begin to highlight to each of us themes that are worth exploring or um, particular emotions that we need to uh, own a little bit more and bring before you for redemption. Um, or events that we need to let go of, things that have happened to us or things that we've done that perhaps we need to let go of. Um, so speak, Lord, for we're listening. 
All right. First one, what am I angry about? What am I angry about? What am I mad about? All right, secondly, what am I sad about? What am I sad about? Next, what am I anxious about? What am I anxious about?
next? What am I glad about? What am I glad for? And then finally, I want you to look over those four questions and just begin to ask the Lord to show you, is there a particular theme? Is there one thing that stands out above all the rest? And then to consider how do you convert that emotional awareness into prayer? What kind of prayer are you being asked to pray? Is it you need to ask the Lord for something? Is it you need to confess something that's on your heart? Is it just about giving thanks? So we're going to continue on in worship and maybe you need some time to just kind of sit with the Lord and, and process one of those things. Uh, but my real challenge to you would be maybe to turn to one or two people next to you and to ask them to intercede on your behalf. Again, as we're talking about this relationship between like, what is mine to own? What's mine to hold? And what are the things that we carry together? Like we encourage one another and we advocate for each other in those things. So if you're, if you've got a little revelation coming through and you're like, man, I really need someone to come alongside of me in this. I'm going to turn to the person next to you and ask them just to lay hands on you and pray for you in that particular way um, that you feel like you need to inquire of the Lord, whether it's through thanksgiving, supplication, or confession. So I want to invite you to stand. Uh, and I'm going to pray and we're going to continue on in worship. This space is for you um, to, to seek prayer, uh, to spend time uh, just before the Lord um, or to, to come to one another um, to ask for some advocacy. So, Father, I thank you that you give us feelings and what a radical um, and awesome responsibility they are.
And Lord, we confess to you the times where we have allowed our feelings uh, to be so powerful that they control us or they lead us to do things that are not of you. Um, but Lord, we also confess the times where we've stuffed our feelings deep down inside, being ashamed of them because we, f- we feel like they're not part of what it means to be a whole and healthy human being. Holy Spirit, would you teach us how to become more sensitive to our own hearts and to, to read what's happening there through your power so that we can become anti-fragile people, that we can grow through pressure learn more resilience and wholeness and celebrate the fact that you are a God that turns curses into blessings. Thank you, Lord, for this time. Amen. Let's worship. This has been the City Beautiful Church podcast. To stay connected, follow us on social everywhere at City Beautiful CH. We hope you join us again soon.